This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, here we are, the start of the weekend. It's the end of a week. What a week it was. A short week for a lot of people because a lot of folks had off for New Year's uh, New Year's Day, including me. Uh, but I am uh, happy to be back, happy to be back here with all of you. What do you say we start the weekend uh, the way so many of you seem to enjoy, by giving you an opportunity to ask a question on any subject you like? Just a reminder, uh, please phrase your question in the form of, a question. Questions begin with words like what, where, who, why, how, does, do. It is uh, once again time for The Other Side of Midnight. All right. Well, we know what time it is. All right. Uh, you guys are right back there today. We're having uh, our fair share of uh, technical difficulties, it seems. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. What's your question, Pete? Hi, Frank. Uh, you being a Godfather fan, have you ever wandered over in Staten Island to see where the Peter Corleone house was? Is No, I never have, actually. You know, a couple of years ago, they opened it up as uh, an Airbnb, and uh, I-, I said that I would have uh, liked to have stayed there with a friend or two, but um, but no, I never, I've, never, I've never been there. I think I've driven it by, but um, I've never stopped and looked around, never been inside, but I, I know the neighborhood. It's a neighborhood I drive by frequently, so no, I've, uh, I've never been there. I'm, I don't know why I haven't, but uh, I'm sure the opportunity will present itself one day. Right, have a good night, Frank. Thanks, Pete. You too. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. David is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, David. Yes, good morning, Frank. Um, this I hope this isn't a downbeat question, mm. but I'm curious. Um, if you had the ability to bring back one of your deceased grandparents for a day, which one would it be? And knowing that it would be your last day to ever spend with them, what would you do differently than the last day you spent with them in reality? Well, so I have two of my uh, grandparents that I never, uh, that I never, that I never met. One I, I literally never met, and then one died when I was maybe a year and a half to two years old, and I have no recollection of her. Uh, so I would love to uh, bring back either one of them. If I have to pick between those two, I'm probably going to pick the one that I was named for, um, Frank Morano, whose whose real name, his uh, name and his birth certificate, I think, was Familio, but everyone called him Frank. And uh, I would really just love to uh, spend the day getting to know him a bit because I've heard so much about him uh, literally my whole life uh, that I, I, in some respects, I feel like I do know him, but uh, I don't. I'd love to know what his voice is. Sounds like I'd love to know what um, his opinion is on everything. I'd love to just uh, kind of ask him questions about his life. I'd love to interview him for really a full day, and uh, I think um, I think we, I think we'd have a lot of fun based on everything I know about him. He was quite a character, but uh, that's probably what I would do. I, the two that I did know uh, were uh, I was very close to as well. One on my dad's side, one on my mom's side. And uh, I'd love to, um, you know, just spend a day interviewing both of them as well. Because, you know, you know I did get to interview my uh, grandmother a couple of times on the radio. 
But, um, you know, you never really interview. I never really interviewed her with an eye towards posterity. I'd love to do that, you know, is spend a day uh, just to with a tape recorder interviewing her and asking her all sorts of questions. I mean, she lived to be 95, almost 96, and she was very, very sharp until her 95th year. Really, really, literally until she died. So I would have, uh, I really feel like I missed so much opportunity to ask her questions about her youth, her early family life, um, because uh, that whole generation in our family is pretty much gone with the exception of my um, w- of my Aunt Camille. And uh, I really uh, would have loved to have uh, something that I could play for my son about what her life was like as, um, you know, coming to the country as the child of immigrants and things of that nature. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Russell is in White Plains. Hi, Russell. Oh, hi, Frank. Hey, I don't know if people realize they can go on Murano Vision and look at those cute pictures of Carmine and, and John Tobacco, even if they're not a member of Insta- Instagram. You know, they give you like 30 seconds. You can look at the pictures. All right. Well, yeah, I'm glad no. you mentioned that. Thanks. Yeah. What's your question, uh, though, Russ? Well, what I want, I'm sorry. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, do you see the similarity that I do between Claudine Gay and Donald Trump? Because I think they're both the victims of, of pretext attacks bad faith attacks. They make up stories about Donald Trump, about insurrection. We know that's not what it's about. So uh, let me answer the question, Russ. No, I I don't. I I understand what you're saying, but no, I don't. I mean, in the case of uh, Claudine Gay, she had one of the finest positions in academia. And the reason that she, uh, look, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but she was a plagiarizer. If she was a student and got caught with that amount of plagiarism, she would have been either put on academic probation or more likely expelled. So how can she be the uh, the president of Harvard when she's committing the kind of plagiarism that any student would have been thrown out for. And look, I am pretty liberal in terms of being forgiving of an honest mistake. But if you look at the sheer breadth of the plagiarism that she committed, it's not an honest mistake. It's not a, a forgetting to include a proper citation here and there. I mean, it's a pattern of complete plagiarism. So, I mean, was she targeted because of the congressional testimony? Yes. But in my view, that doesn't excuse her committing plagiarism. That's the last person that should be president of Harvard. The thing that's amazing to me is she's able to keep keep her job and her $900,000 a year salary as a professor. There's no place for plagiarism among the faculty of any university, let alone an Ivy League college. Absolutely not. I don't see the—I see what you mean, but no, I don't. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. David's in Ohio. Hi, David. Hey, hi there. Why don't for your next, uh, your son's next birthday party, in addition to the bouncy ball thing, hire a clown. Kids love clowns. And then that extra candy that you get from Halloween, you put it in a pinata and then you put the pinata in the garage with all the kids dancing around with a stick. You put a blindfold on the kids. All right. Well, thanks for the suggestion, David. Uh, I I may do that. May do that. I don't think two was really, uh, I don't know that he could really appreciate a clown or a magician, but I have a lot of friends that are clowns and magicians. Maybe we'll do that for his third birthday. So maybe we will. Thanks for the suggestion. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Brooklyn. Hello, Robert. Hello, Frank. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. My question, with as clear delineation as possible, at what point do you think a person passes from young 
too old. I think I've thought about this a lot lately, uh, but I think the it's absolutely on your 50th birthday because on your 50th birthday, that's when you uh, qualify to join AARP. And AARP, um, by its very definition, is not for young people. So I know a lot of 49-year-olds that are incredibly juvenile, and I mean, I mean that in the best possible, possible way, incredibly immature, and really do fit the textbook definition of a young person in every way. The minute they are eligible to join AARP, they cease to be young and are immediately old. If you're looking for a hard and fast technical definition, that's it, your 50th birthday. That's the moment when you go from being young to being old. Now, I happen to believe that age is more of a, a mindset anyway. I, I try to maintain uh, a youthful exuberance, a youthful outlook of life, uh, a youthful love of learning and curiosity and clowning around. And uh, I think the mistake that a lot of people make is uh, kind of embracing that lifestyle of being old because I, I think you're only as old as you feel, right? I mean, uh, I think, I really believe that. I know it's a cliche, but like a lot of cliches, I think it happens to be true. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222, open lines if you have a question. Rocco in Saratoga. Hello, Rocco. Hello, Frank. Good evening. I think Matt and the boys are partying in the control um, room That's tonight. what I'm worried about, yeah. Hey, don't worry. They, they do a great job back there. But, uh, Frank, you're absolutely right first on gay. I'm not going to go into all that. I got a question for you. You you nailed it. Over 40 times, she has no original thought in her brain. She took these ideas from other academia professors. All right, I appreciate the question, Rocco. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Just, again, if you can, uh, begin with a question. A question. You don't have to give a whole commentary. Again, the, the whole show is 19 hours a week of you commenting. You don't need to comment. Ask a question. There's two open lines if you want to jump in on board. Charlie's in Hell's Kitchen. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Frank. What event in history would you change the outcome of? Knowing what we know in history, if you could travel backwards into time in a time machine, but retain and possess the knowledge that you possess now, what event in history would you change and and why? I feel like I've gotten this question before, uh, and I don't know what answer I've given before, but I'm going to um, I'm going to do the best that I can with where my mind is right now. And I'm going to say I would avoid the September 11th attacks uh, because I think the September 11th attacks were not only horrible for the several thousand people that died in them, but they were horrible in terms of the wars that it led to with uh, not only a lot of Americans, but a lot of Iraqis and Afghans um, being killed needlessly, I think, for the most part, in my judgment. So we could have avoided those wars, although knowing George W. Bush, he might have found uh, some other reason to go to war. I think um, we could have avoided those wars. We could have avoided the Patriot Act. We could have avoided this fetish for warrantless wiretapping. We could have avoided this lunacy of renaming things from French fries to freedom fries. All that could have been avoided for uh, September 11th, and we're still dealing with the repercussions of that. They just reauthorized whole sections of the FBI, uh, the FBI's spies, uh, spying authority. If you look at what's happened under the pretense of FISA, 
where it's supposed to be initially conceded to um, to spy on or to eavesdrop on foreign intelligence sources. It's being used to cat to spy on people in this country. If you look at the Edward Snowden revelations, if you look at so many of the revelations from WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, but for September 11th, we could have avoided all that. And honestly, I um, we could have avoided a second George W. Bush term in 2004, but for September 11th and the rallying around the flag of war. And I think that probably would have been the best thing for the country as well. So, uh, again, there's a lot of events that I'd like to do over. Usually these events lead to something positive. You know, the Holocaust, for instance, absolutely horrible. But as a result of the Holocaust, the you, the state of Israel, I think, it's again, I realize the history, it's not an A to B, but it's an indirect um, correlation. The state of Israel was established, and now today there's no such thing as a Jewish refugee. So uh, on the whole, if you do away with the Holocaust, I don't know that you get a state of Israel, and I don't know that you have a place for uh, Jews that are being persecuted or hunted to go. Uh, So I wouldn't do away with the Holocaust, as bizarre as that sounds, for that reason. September 11th and everything that came out of it, I see no positive. I see no positive for this country, no positive for Iraq, no positive for Afghanistan, no positive for anybody. Um, So if I'm picking one at the moment, again, you ask me next week, my mind might be in a different place, but if you ask me right now, that's uh, that's kind of where I am. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Catherine is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Frank. Listen, I have a question about Watergate. I remember the Watergate hearings and them being on television and everybody had to watch them. And now we have the situation with Trump on trial, the House of Representatives doing secret meetings mm-hmm. about and why is there such a difference that we're not – this is not open to the public to hear and listen like we did with Watergate? Yeah, well, I think that's a very good question. I think um, I think part of it is, uh, is because Watergate and the Watergate hearings, they were bipartisan. And uh, what you're seeing now with the uh, both the Hunter Biden investigation in the House and the uh, Biden impeachment inquiry in the House, just like with the Trump impeachments prior – Everything now is blatantly partisan. There is no bipartisanship, except when it comes to members of Congress doing really well on their stock trades and making curiously fortuitous trades at just the right time. Other than that, uh, there doesn't seem to be there's much of a bipartisan consensus on anything. All right, we're going to continue with your questions in a moment. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Stepping out, Joe Jackson. Uh, this is a uh, bumper music selection from our listener of the week, Tom Brodo, who, uh, in addition to his longtime co- companion, Janice, is the listener of the week. All right. We are giving you an opportunity to ask questions about anything you like as part of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Margie in the Catskills. Hi, Margie. Hi, Frank. I'll give you a very brief context and then my question. Um, I was up for 24 hours straight with a new infant, and I remember... Being so sleep-deprived, I walked in the kitchen, had a cup of black coffee, looked on the kitchen table. There was a carton of milk and a box of Thai detergent. I watched myself pour the Thai detergent into the coffee. I watched myself stir it, and then I drank it. Oh, my. Were you okay? So here's the question. What's the dumbest thing you ever did? Well, I've never drank Tide detergent, but I've done other things like that. I remember one time I started shaving with tooth polish, right? I put tooth polish on my face and started shaving uh, before it was before I realized what was going on. Uh, you know, I feel like I do so many dumb things on a daily basis that um, I don't know that I could pick the single dumbest. The uh, you know, if I'm picking, uh, you know, all of the dumb things that I do, though, Margie, there it it almost it almost always comes down to one of three categories: either uh, I'm drinking. I'm exhausted, as you were, and haven't slept, or I, or, or both, or I am rushing. I'm rushing, and I quickly send a, a text message in response, quickly send an email in response, when if I would have just taken a moment and said, let me not do that, then uh, I wouldn't have. In terms of the single dumbest, I don't know that I could pick one, honestly. Um, I Honestly, I do so many stupid things on a daily basis I don't know that I could pick just one. I I, I wish I could uh, because I'm thinking about all the dumb things that I've done. And there's so many dumb things that I've done professionally, politically, personally. But you know what I feel? Maybe not that tied example that you gave, Margie. But what I feel like all the dumb things that you do, it really does help make you smarter. It really does season you and give you a little bit of wisdom. And in my ever my ongoing quest for wisdom... Maybe all the stupid things that I've done help me get there, right? Hope so. Otherwise, that's the only way I can rationalize it in my own head. Or I just could be dumb. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hi, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, what aspiration or wise saying or proverb would best describe your character and personality? Huh. I would. I think. Um, hmm. I. I think it was. Uh, I, I probably. It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. I like that. Thanks. Yeah, I heard it from Joe Franklin, who got it from uh, Eddie Cantor, but I think it goes back as a quote all the way to John Templeton. I've always tried to live by that. I've always tried to be nice to people. I think you'd be hard pressed to find uh, anybody that I've known over the years, worked with, been friendly with, uh, encountered that would say that I wasn't nice to them. I mean, uh, even well, maybe an old girlfriend or two, I, maybe, but I don't think so. 
I think uh, I think you'd find everybody said that I at least made an effort to be nice to everybody. 800-848-9222. Igor is in New Jersey. What's your question, Igor? Greetings, Frank. I have a fairly unusual question that was inspired by the stories that you've told and Joe Piscopo himself told about his mother's passing. And I've had a neighbor uh, who was 99, he passed away, and I went to the funeral, and everybody had a smile on their face. He was a good guy, but hey, 99. Also been to funerals, of course, like everybody else, who's somebody who was 40, and everybody's very, very sad. So my question for you is this, Frank. Do you think there's an age at which a, a funeral goes from a lamentation to a celebration where you just say, hey, they made it to this age, and, you know, everybody is sort of uh, is smiling? You know, I don't. You know, I would normally have said that it would be 85. I think 85 and up, um, you've done okay, right? Um, and, and you're at probably at an age where a lot of your contemporaries have passed on. However, uh, I think it really does depend on the individual. Uh, you know, I lost a friend recently, um, uh, Bob Giganti, back in October. Been a guest on this show, great guy. I, um, I He was only 75, very young man. And I went to his wake, and everyone had such great stories about him, every single one of them positive, that even though his age, had you asked me this question in uh, September instead of in January, I might have said 85, even though his age is under my normal barometer there, I really do think that his was much more of a celebration because everybody had such great stories about him. So I, I don't think there's an age. I think it totally depends on the individual, honestly. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Alfredo is in Newark. Hello, Alfredo. Yes, Frank, how are you? Well, Frank, uh, do you do you think uh, Naum Chomsky is the, the alive, is the the most important thinker right now in this American society? And have you read have you read any book from him? You know, I have read some Chomsky. I it's been a while. I have a lot of respect for uh, Noam Chomsky. Am I ready to say he's the most important intellectual in America? Uh, no, I'm not ready to say uh, that. I I think. Um, So I don't know who is, but I think with respect to um, Chomsky, the thing that make you know, the thing is with picking a thinker, there are so many different types of thinkers. There's philosophers, there's uh, political scientists, there's economists, uh, there's writers, all so important. There's art critics. I think the thing that makes Chomsky so unique is that he's one of the most celebrated linguists in the world, but he's also one of the most uh, quoted political philosophers in the world. And those aren't two areas of the brain that always go hand in hand. Um, am I going to say Chomsky? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to commit to Chomsky at this point, but I don't have a better answer at um, you know at the moment. 800-848-9222. Bob is in Queens. Hello, Bob. Yes, good morning. My question is this. Um, As a big believer in the death penalty, would you say it's time, or at least I am, would you say it's time for a death penalty for white-collar criminals? I wouldn't, uh, no, for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not a big believer in the death penalty myself. I think maybe if we're talking about the death penalty for terrorists, someone like a Timothy McVeigh, okay, I could kind of deal with that. I don't generally believe the state should have the power to put people to death. Um, th- that That's on the one hand. But especially for white-collar crimes, we see so many people 
that commit white-collar crimes because they get caught up, uh, maybe they're greedy, maybe they're on drugs, maybe they're drunk, maybe they're trying to uh, fill in the blanks, and then they go to prison, serve their prison sentence, and then they come out, and they're incredibly productive members of society. Uh, Sometimes they help catch other white-collar criminals. Sometimes they help raise all sorts of money for charity. Sometimes they help uh, in terms of education to make sure those white-collar crimes aren't committed by others. And if you just put all those people to death, then you lose out on the opportunity for all that. I mean, one of the best examples that I can think of is Michael Milken. Michael Milken was a white-collar criminal prosecuted for... um, you know, junk bonds and all all that kind of thing. And he then is an incredibly important philanthropist right now, has made a lot of headway with things like prostate cancer. If we uh, had put him to death, all the good work that he's done since leaving prison would be would be gone. So I don't think that's a uh, I don't think that's a good idea. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Tom in New Jersey. Hi, Tom. Hello, Frank. Uh, I'm retired now, but I used to set my alarm at five o'clock in the morning and I would get your show on another channel and you ended it with the crow of a rooster. And when you started here at ABC, I, I just kind of assumed that you would end your show now with the crow of a rooster, uh, un- unless the other channel had a uh, a copyright on the crow of a rooster. I was wondering why you didn't keep take that rooster with you. Yeah, well, I did take the rooster with me. The rooster uh, is named uh, Sammy, and um, when I started doing, you know, when I was doing not only this show, but when I was doing the 5 a.m. hour, Sammy was an integral part of the show. He started that show, uh, and so he con- we continued with that, and he was with us until I stopped doing that show, which was when my uh, my son was born, and then I, I, I don't remember if Juliet Huddy immediately took over for me or Deborah Valentine, uh, the rooster stayed with the two of them, and I don't know uh, what became of him now, but I passed the reins of that rooster over to uh, Deb and uh, and Juliet. I think you do still hear him from time to time. I'm not certain, but I think you do. But no, absolutely. Um, he was an integ- he's been an integral part of, and he's a trusted friend, integral part of my whole radio career and somebody that I confided in from time to time that I wish I got to spend more time with now. But no, absolutely took the rooster with me. 800 Eight ninety two twenty two eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to the Fugazi Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi Tom. Hey Frank. You know, I got two things. I just uh, wanted to say the way some of these hosts don't answer their phones the whole show and just talk, you know, and leave you on the phone. I don't like that. But let me ask you another question. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's fair to deny anybody from being heard on a show because they don't like what the subject is or they don't like being called out? Well, do you think it's fair that they cut you off from... Yeah, I mean, I do, because uh, honestly, Tom, what you're doing as a caller, you, you have no right to call a talk radio show. What you exist as a caller for is the way a record exists on a music show. You exist only as a vehicle to entertain the audience. So what you're there for is as a chess piece, a piece for me to move or the, whatever host you call for me to entertain the audience. So if, uh, if, uh, if a host feels that you're not 
not entertaining or you're not helping them do the kind of show that they want to do, then of course they shouldn't take your call. No, nobody's got a right to be heard as a caller. And I say this as someone that was a caller to talk radio long before um, long before I was ever a uh, a host on talk radio or a producer. All right, we're going to continue with your questions in a moment. One open line if you want to comment, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. to ask questions on any subject at 800-848-9222 as part of The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything Ask Frank Anything anything. Let me say hello to Dave in Las Vegas. Hello, Dave. Hello, Frank. uh, Your favorite shaped pasta and why? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, there's so many. Uh, all right. I'm going to go with, it's one of two. It's either Bucatini or ravioli. I'm going to go with ru- ravioli because I feel like with ravioli, you get a few things. If you want to get just the edge of the ravioli and just get pasta, you can. So you get the pasta with whatever sauce is in it. But if you want to go in a little bit, you get a piece and a, on your fork of a little bit of whatever the ravioli is filled with, presumably, you know, ravioli filling, uh, regat, uh, and a little bit of standard pasta. If you want to go in a lot and just get a piece that's entirely filled with the ravioli filling, you could do that. Uh, it just, I think I'm going to go with ravioli. That's that's it. Uh, to me, it's fun. It reminds me of my youth. My grandmother used to make them all the time. And uh, I remember one when I was uh, 9 or 10, I once had 13 in one sitting. And they were a large size ravioli as well. And I love, um, 
asking people while you're eating them what you call a singular ravioli, and most people don't seem to know. So I'm going to go with ravioli. That's that's my favorite shape pasta because it's fun. It brings back memories for me. It's delicious. There are so many different ways that you can shape them. Uh, you can have them large. You can have them small. You can have them triangle. You can have them round. Ravioli is versatile, and that's my favorite shape pasta. 800-848-9222. Phil is in Connecticut. Hi, Phil. Hi. Hi, Frank. Frank's kind of a political question. You have Claudine Gay, President Harvard, and you have uh, Joe Biden, President of the United States. Who's the bigger cheater? The bigger cheater? Well, first of all, I, I don't think it's a fair comparison because one entered into elective office and ran for office multiple times, whereas one has spent her whole career in academia. If you want to limit it, uh, and thanks for the question, Phil, if you want to limit it to purely who's the bigger plagiarist, the answer is certainly um, Claudine Gay. I mean, in the case of Biden, um, putting aside what he's stolen in speeches from Neil Kinnock and stuff, you know, he really, in his academic career, and Dukakis hammered him for this when Dukakis ran for president against him in 88, he committed one instance of plagiarism. He, he plagiarized five pages from a law review article without quotation or attribution. All he had to do was, if he included a little footnote, that wouldn't have been plagiarism. In the case of Claudine Gay, I mean, it's monstrous what she did here. I mean, you had a situation where she plagiarized whole sections of her political, scientist, uh, political science dissertation. Then the Washington Free Beacon, they found 29 potential cases of plagiarism, not only in her dissertation, but three other papers. Uh, then there were New York Post found two additional instances of plagiarism in one of those articles. Then there were apparently uh, complaints filed with Harvard of 47 incidents of plagiarism by this woman. So this was not a one-time mistake in terms of attribution. This was a pattern. This is what she did. She stole other people's work. You know, as a law student in the 60s, you know, Biden never struck me as the most bookish guy anyway. But I could absolutely understand that he didn't remember to include the proper citation. I can absolutely believe that. You're going to tell me this woman who went on to become the president of Harvard, was so naive about uh, attribution and citation that she did it her entire academic career? No, come on. So as far as plagiarism goes, there's no contest. Claudine Gay wins that one. 800-848-9222, Let me say hello to Thomas in Baltimore. Hello, Thomas. Uh, Happy New Year, Frank. Uh, Likewise. Uh, what is your prediction on the Super Bowl? Well, I am going to say um, that's a great question. I, I think the Ravens are going for the AFC. And I think actually the 49ers have a great chance of uh, representing the NFC. That's that's my pick at the moment. It's Ravens 49ers. Ravens 49ers. I, I believe that's going to be it, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens, Thomas. Thank you. Good luck to the 50, Ravens. 56 to uh, 19. 
What'd you say? Over to Miami, man. Yeah, that's, that's something. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to make it out to Vegas for the Super Bowl this year. I don't know. All right, uh, two open lines if you want to squeeze in a question before we end. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention, whoever comes up with the best question in the eyes of uh, Tony, Matt Blaze, and Elias will be given a, uh, a prize of some sort. Chances are it's probably going to be a magnet, but uh, it'll be a prize of some sort, something that you can get from the other side of Midnight online store. Just make it creative, make it good, make it interesting. 800-848-9222. Peter is in Harlem. What's your question, Peter? Yeah, hey, Frank, how you doing? Hey, you know how today we still talk about talk show hosts of the past, sure. some of them legendary sure. or whatnot? In your estimation, who would you suggest of today's caliber will be remembered in 20 or 25 years? Ooh. I'll hang up and listen. Uh, you know, on radio or TV or both? Uh, radio. Radio. radio is more intimate. Yeah, you know? good question. Great question. Um <sighs> Who's going to be remembered in 25 years? I got to say, um, Mark Levin. I think, um, mm, I'm going to say Curtis Lewa, honestly, because, you know, if you look at so many of the reasons uh, that talk radio hosts end up being remembered, it's because so many of them become well known for things other than being radio talk show hosts. Um, Dr. Ruth, honestly, was a mediocre radio talk show hostess. Mediocre. She became famous for doing a lot of things other than being on the radio. She was on television. She wrote books. And Curtis, I think, has crossed into so many different areas of the cultural zeitgeist as a crime fighter, as a political activist, as a competitive eater, as a mayoral candidate. Um, so I'm going to say Curtis Lewa, uh, Howard Stern, certainly, that goes without saying, and Mark Levin. Those are the three people that are on the air now that I will guarantee you are still being talked about uh, 25 years from now. A great question, though, Peter. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. open lines if you want to call in with a question. Bob is in Manorville. Hello, Bob. Hey, Frank, that, that last call, he sounded like Andrew Cuomo a little bit. I don't um, think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, Mike, uh, real quick, uh, is Ronald Reagan your favorite president? No, no. I know. He's not. Okay. Well, excluding your favorite president, Going back in time, if you had to be a vice president, which president would it be and why? Okay, uh, it's a great question. Okay, I'm going to say, um, let's see, I'm trying to go through the list here. Going back in time, um, well, I'd want to pick someone who, uh, where I could improve upon the job that the, uh, that the vice president did. Um, you know, for instance... You know, I, I don't know what I if I was vice president to Eisenhower, I'm not sure I would have done anything much different than what Eisenhower did. Right. Excuse me. Than what Nixon did as vice president. I, I probably wouldn't have. So I'd li like to pick a situation that I could have improved. I'm actually I'm probably going to say uh, I Thomas Jefferson. I think Aaron Burr was not a positive influence on the country. I could tell you what I would not have been doing as vice president. And that's dueling with anybody, let alone killing Alexander Hamilton. So I'm going to say either uh, I would have taken Burr's place as Jefferson's vice president or I would have taken John C. Calhoun's place as uh, vice president to uh, either Andrew Jackson or John Quincy Adams, because he was vice president to both. And he was, I think, a, 
a very negative influence on the country and ultimately uh, gave gave life to the uh, slavery movement, the secessionist movement, and a lot of things that came to fruition 30 years uh, later. All right. Three open lines if you have a question. 800-848-9222. It's very rare that we have any open lines. So if you've uh, not gotten your question asked and you want to, now is the time. 800-848-9222. Tommy is in Bensonhurst. Hi, Tommy. Hey, Frank. How are you? Frank, I got a a musical question for you. Well, you know, because you play your music, what's your favorite decade of music? And the second question would be, how did Elvis affect you in your life? Well, um, let me answer. So the first question is much easier than the than the second. My fa- There's a lot of decades that I love. There's music from every decade that I love. My favorite, if I had to pick one is the 70s. I think the great songs in the 70s are better than the great songs from any other era. I think the mediocre songs from the 70s are better than the mediocre songs from any other era. I think the bad songs from the 70s are far better from the bad songs from any other era. I also like the incredible mix of music that was present in the 1970s. Not just disco, but classic rock, even some really interesting um, adult standards uh, from the American Songbook. Even some Interesting country songs, all present in the 70s. My least favorite decade of music, and it's not to say there's not good music from this decade. There absolutely is. But my least favorite decade of music is the uh, 1990s. I think that's by far the worst. As far as how Elvis affected me, Tommy, I'm a big fan of Elvis. I don't know that he's affected me that much. I mean, I I don't know. I I love his music, and I grew up not only uh, listening to him, but watching a lot of his movies. I love um, Frankie and Johnny is one of my favorites, but really so many uh, Elvis movies, because my mom was an Elvis fan, so she would play a lot of Elvis records in the house, and we'd watch a lot of Elvis movies. I would try and style my hair like Elvis as a uh, as a child but I you know I have very different hair so it really didn't work so well maybe maybe the only way that I can think that he has really affected me is that I generally have sideburns and unless I'm fresh off a new haircut I generally almost always have sideburns and that is pretty much solely due to Elvis Presley. All right. Four open lines if you have a question on any subject. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Paul is in Connecticut. Hello, Paul. Hi, Frank. I had a question. If you were going to communicate with aliens from another planet, what questions would you ask them to do to help the world? Well, so uh, give me the situation. Have the aliens visited this planet and I just happen to run into them? Are they communicating well, with me through email or, or how is well, the communication you, taking place? Communicating with you through your dreams. If you ask a question in your, before you go to sleep and then you can dream. Okay. Dream uh, that to communicate with the aliens. Okay, so well the first question I would ask is is why me? What made you decide to be in contact with with me? The second question that I would ask is about what advancements their civilization has made that could benefit humanity. Uh, the third question that I would ask is if there were a lot of parallels to their civilization's history that they are witnessing on present day Earth and are there any pitfalls that they see us headed towards given our societal development that could be avoided given their own experience? So that's kind of, uh, those are the kind of the top 
three. I also I would ask how many other forms of intelligent life in the universe they've encountered. So that's kind of one, two, three, and four. That's kind of where where I would go. Uh, just and, and in general, my favorite question to ask anybody, whether they be human, human or alien, is if you have any advice. So I would ask if they had any advice either for me personally or for humankind. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you have a question within the next seven minutes, now is the time to get through uh, four open lines. Um, coming up next hour, we're going to. Um, Talk with Steve Lightfoot. Steve Lightfoot has called this program before. He's called a variety of radio programs for the last three decades. He believes, I'm not joking here, and I don't think he's joking, although we'll find out. He believes that John Lennon was murdered by Stephen King. Yes, Stephen King, the author. Why does he believe it? What evidence does he have? We will ask him. Uh, next hour. Then uh, the terrific singer Robert Davi will join us a little bit later. We also have denunciations and a whole lot more. But uh, four more questions. And, you know, we never do this, but uh, we may have to turn to the email, ask Frank anything questions, because uh, we have a few openings here. Larry is on Long Island. What's your question? Frank, the question is, would you have gone along with the one colony who signed the Declaration of Independence but did not sign the Constitution? because they wanted to have more rights for the individual. Yeah, that was and Rhode that, Island, right? Am I mistaken? Was that Rhode you Island? You are correct. Okay, good. And they wanted the 12 changes made, but they only got 10 of them, and we know them as the Bill of Rights. Would you have gone along with Rhode Island or the other 12 colonies? You know, it honestly probably depends on what— first of all, they weren't colonies at that point. They were states. But it honestly depends which state that I was living under. Because um, under the Articles of Confederation, everybody talks about what a disaster it was. And look, if the United States ever got invaded or something along those lines, it probably would have been very little central government at all. But there were some states, you know, with the article, and I've spent a lot of time actually looking at this. Everyone forgets that prior to 1788, there was a government in this country. And between 1776 and, I guess, 1789, there was an incredible amount of experimentation because each state had an incredible amount of leeway to develop whatever, whatever kind of government it wanted. And you want to talk about laboratories of democracy, laboratories of governmental experimentation. You look at pre-constitutional America because it's wonderful. If I was living in the state of Pennsylvania, for instance, that had a very strong democracy and uh, very strong democratic traditions. And things seemed to be going pretty well there. And I would have probably voted to keep the status quo. If I was living in a state like New York which things were not going as well, I probably would have gone along with the Constitution even without a uh, Bill of Rights. But I applaud where Rhode Island was coming from. I, uh, you know, they they look, took a stand for everybody. 800-848-9222. Ellie is in Baltimore. Hello, Ellie. Hi, Frank. Happy New Year. You have a wonderful show. It's very entertaining Thank and enlightening. You. Thank and you very much. That's nice of you. I have two quick questions. If you could be good at a sport you're not good at now, what would it be? And if you could be a woman for a day, what would you like to experience as a woman? Oh, boy. Um, If I could be good at a sport that I'm not good at now, well, you know, I guess I would say I would probably 
pick um, ping pong because I love ping pong and I'm only an average ping pong player, but I'd love to do the amount of work that it takes to become a great ping pong player. And I'd love to play against some of the great ping pong players of all time. I wish I had played more in my youth. I didn't have a table in my youth. um, And I'm hoping my son does become a great ping pong player because he's going to grow up with a table. But uh, that's my, that's the sport I would pick right now. uh, Ping pong. As far, if I could be a woman for a day, what would I do? Huh. That's a very good question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I would probably look to um, get nominated for a category of awards that men are excluded from. Like, you know, they have the uh, Gracie Awards that are for women with excellence in media. You know, I think my media career, you know, definitely could qualify me for a Gracie if only I was a woman. But I'm not, so I can't. So I would probably look to win some women-only awards. Um, So I would probably try and do that. I don't know if it would be the Gracies or some similar gender-exclusive award, but... Probably, probably that. 800-848-9222. Chris is in Yonkers. What's your question, Chris? Hi, Frank. Uh, to what extent did Roe versus Wade uh, create the pro-choice movement, or what kind of effect did it have on the pro-choice movement? Uh, well, look, I mean, that's a difficult question for me to answer in only a minute, which is what we have. But I think uh, it really did uh, give an incredible—actually, I think it went the other way. I think it, what it did was it gave life— to the um, pro-life movement. And I think really the strengthening of the pro-life movement and the Christian right was a direct response uh, to Roe versus Wade. Because before that, you know, you had kind of the situation that you're now having now, which if the political sensibilities in a state lended itself more towards abortion restrictions, that's what people voted for. If they lent themselves more to more lenient abortion laws, that's what people voted for. Once people found that no matter what state they were living in, Mississippi, Georgia, uh, Florida, wherever, that abortion was going to be permitted, I think it gave it basically gave a tremendous jolt to the uh, anti-abortion movement. 800-848-9222. Bobby is in Jersey City. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Frank, do you believe in hell? Absolutely. I absolutely believe in hell. I don't think you can really believe in heaven without believing um, in hell. So, very strongly, I believe in hell, and uh, I am hopeful not to go there. Um, So that's that. All right. Tony and Matt Blaze... I'm speaking on behalf of Elias. Do you guys have a winner? Dave in uh, Vegas. Dave in Las Vegas. Your favorite pasta and wine. There you go. Dave in Vegas. Call back 800-848-9222. We'll give you a prize for the rest of you. Keep asking questions.